Hello, Poisonese. For those listening in real time, all expecting to have another hot hit of poisony, murdery, crimey goodness from the Poisonous Cabinet after episode 191, will have been waiting a little while because we had to delay episode 192 due to illness. And while we do our damnedest to get an episode out to you every single week of the appropriate quality, sometimes that's just not possible. Nick this week has been struck down with tonsillitis and you can't really do a podcast if you can't speak. Plus, he needed rest and relaxation to get through this bug. But as ever, and as Shakespeare said, we did not want to leave you so unsatisfied. Rather than leave a gap in our episodes, we have decided once again to release one of our Patreon episodes. And this one is a biggie. If you'll allow us for a moment, I'll tell you about Patreon. In addition to doing the main show every single week, wherever you listen to your podcasts, we also have a Patreon platform. For those who don't already know, Patreon is a subscriber platform where we produce extra episodes every single week of The Poisonous Cabinet, as well as putting out new bonus content. We put out the main shows without adverts in them. As a subscriber channel, Patreon helps artists like us to do what we do. It supports all of the technicalities and all of the creative process to put out a podcast that we think is worthy of your time. If you're interested in supporting The Poisonous Cabinet, there are two tiers available on Patreon. One for $5 a month, which gives you our extra Deadly Nightcaps episode, as well as access to our book club and Zoom meetings each month. And then there is a higher tier at $15 a month, where in addition to getting everything from the $5 tier, you also get a special monthly episode, you get extra sneak peeks behind the scenes, and a special gift pack handwritten and hand wrapped from us patreon is also a wonderful community made up of some sensational people it is completely flexible if you are inclined and you'd like to hear more from us that is the place to go our patreon episodes again cover poisoning murders and famous crimes and some weird stuff from across the centuries and we also delve into the darker stuff every now and then and for this reason we need to give you a warning we are releasing the Patreon episode that tells the story of the Jonestown Massacre, the People's Temple, Jim Jones. This was originally broadcast in September 2020, all those years ago, and the sound quality is a tiny bit different because we've since upgraded our microphones. Jonestown is a fascinating story, but it is not one for the faint-hearted. Of all the episodes that we've ever covered on The Poisonous Cabinet, and there have been some sad and dark ones, Jonestown was the one that got to me the most. That's not just me saying that to build up dramatic effect, it is to warn you that this is heavy in places. We always try and take a lighthearted approach, but know what you're getting into. This is a serious, serious story. If you are interested in the psychology behind cults and how they start, we did a special Patreon episode back in 2022 talking to our expert witness, Rowana Bond, who is a trained psychotherapist and works with behavioural disorders. We had a discussion along with a special guest, Emma from Real Life Ghost Stories, looking at what makes a cult a cult. And how do people get involved in it? It's a really fascinating conversation that is available on Patreon. So if you just want to subscribe for this month and listen to that episode and a few more, feel free. We will be back as usual very soon once Nick's tonsils play ball with us. In the meantime, enjoy this episode, take care of yourselves and keep talking about poison. begin the special report that what you're out to see almost defies description and some of you may not want to watch it as soon as these pictures from Jonestown cleared our newsroom everybody even a lot of hardened news people reacted in horror and disbelief the word on everybody's lips was shades of Auschwitz these are the first pictures out of Guiana 
on the incredible orgy of death that took place in the People's Temple Agricultural Mission at Jonestown. This is picture number one. Poison Patreons, and welcome to another episode of Deadly Nightcaps with me, Sinead. And me, Nick. Bringing you more tales of poisoning cases, old and new, all washed down with drinks that make your thumbs twitch. <laughs> Thank you to all of our lovely, delicious new followers. We hope you're having a lovely week. How are you, Nick? I, yes, I'm just, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a good week. It's a I've good start I've had a very upsetting day, and I don't like it. Aww. <laughs> work related not well yes indeed yes you, you, you know your great aunt hasn't died and left no, no, you nothing no. in the will <laughs> no a very frustrating day full of annoyances so now I have gin and but all no. is well with the world uh, any, anything you would like to poison oh, this week oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> mainly computer based things <laughs> yes I'm with you on the technology yes I might just go and pour a big bottle of gin into the server cupboard or something like that and see what happens <laughs> sounds like a party I'll yeah. be there yes I'd like to poison uh, the internet I think actually because my I've had an engineer out to fix the internet because it's the usual of BT coming out and going oh yeah there was a problem and there's been a problem in this area for ages so I've fixed all that and your speed's gone up from 0.2 to 7 <laughs> 79 great they leave i'm like yeah there was a problem with the hub as well inside the house so very fast speeds but my internet falls over every now and then and goes i don't want to just don't want to just yeah. don't want to so god damn the internet so yes uh what what are you drinking i have gin i you have, have gin. all the gin ah lovely lovely gin i'm not going to drink during the week it's monday night gin. <laughs> i wasn't gonna have a gin but then i had a gin yeah pretty much i was thinking the same thing actually before i came out when i was writing earlier and finishing off stuff because today's episode is quite heavy going and then just at one point I went, I need a beer to finish writing this, otherwise I'll cry. Uh, and now I've had a gin, so it's going well. Yep, yep, Lovely. yep, yep. Sounds good to me. Well, you know what, Nick? Should we talk about poison for a bit? Oh, I think we probably should. Hooray, hooray, hooray. It's my story this week. It is. It's episode 10. Uh, yes. Deadly necked caps. I know, it's exciting. And as we've established, we do like a cult. Oh, we, we certainly do. A cult <laughs> and the occult. Yes. But less of the occult this week. Today, yeah, I like, yeah, we like both. If the title of this episode hasn't given anything away, (laughs) we decided to tackle a biggie this week. When I say we, I mean me. And I regret it instantly. Down to Sinead. (laughs) So if it's terrible, you can blame her. Exactly. We are going to talk about Jonestown. That has quite the reputation. It does. Now, some people listening might not know of this Jonestown of which we speak. Maybe they know none of the story. Maybe they've been living in a cave for many years. <laughs> I'd be surprised if no one's ever even just not heard of it in passing. Um, well, not in passing, but just knows the name even though, without knowing the story behind it. Incredibly famous. It's very famous. Um, and I think worth discussion at the end about whether or not it deserves to be called a cult. It, it's seen as a cult because of what happens. But really is cult there is it a cult we had the uh um the... Shindriko. yes that one that one that is a cult that most certainly that they, definitely didn't was. they call themselves a cult um did they don't think they did actually no i don't think they, they called themselves that they certainly were maybe i think a good one for expert witnesses maybe we could discuss this but i'd like your view at the end of whether or not you think it is a cult okay we only have so long on this show so i'm going to delve into one of the biggest poisoning cult cases in living memory this is a huge story buy the books watch the documentaries about it there is so much to tell about this there are incredible survivor stories there are all sorts of rabbit holes you can literally go down with this story so i'm going to do my best to give it justice the road to jonestown is a very good book by jeff uh gwyn or gun i think that's how it's pronounced 
Uh, also the basis for the brilliant documentary Terror in the Jungle. Also, I'm going to say a trigger warning. There are people out there living today whose relatives will have been affected by Jonestown. This is a lighthearted show. If you're a Patreon subscriber, you know what you've signed up for. We are recounting history in our own way. But if you happen to be personally affected, I would say maybe give this one a miss because we only give you our best wishes. We will try and be lighthearted. Um, and the only person we judge here is Jim Jones because he was a mass murdering fuckhead. Rightfully judged, I think. <laughs> so for those who don't know the story, I'm going to take you to Sunday, the 19th of November in 1978, Guyana. <laughs> Five people lie dead at the Port Kaituma airstrip and many more lie injured around them. One of the dead is Congressman Leo Ryan from America. The Guyanese authorities know that the group who have been affected just completed a congressional visit to the People's Temple Agricultural Project, known as Jonestown. A settlement of nearly 1,000 Americans living in the middle of the jungle, all members of the People's Temple Church led by the charismatic Reverend Jim Jones. The survivors at the airstrip explained that the delegation had been attacked by gunmen just before boarding their planes to leave the country, and the attackers have since fled back in the direction of Jonestown. The Guyanese army decide to head to Jonestown. It's a six-mile trek along a single muddy dirt road. A monsoon occurred the day before. Yeah, it's going to take them a while to get yeah. there, one would imagine. It's muddy. It's going to be pretty muddy. It's not pleasant. With the intense heat of the jungle combined with the moisture you've basically got ground fog <laughs> so people are just walking through and you, you can picture the scene this is literally in the middle of the jungle yeah. i cannot stress this enough it is <laughs> miles from anywhere and this one little airstrip is a tiny tiny town it's 160 miles away from georgetown which is the capital of guyana so you've got to imagine walking through the jungle a lot of the soldiers as well are volunteers they're teenage volunteers or reserves that they've drafted in because there's not enough people around they're like okay we need to go to jonestown and they're walking steadily along the road unsure of what they're going to find or what's waiting for them they've heard the people of jonestown had come here to make a modern utopia that this was their man-made paradise where black and white people would live together in harmony without prejudice where everyone was happy and peaceful and lived in a true socialist haven they had also heard rumors <laughs> that <laughs> they were stockpiling weapons yep. and that the leader jim jones did not much care for outsiders <laughs> coming into the utopia so as they passed through the gates as it were it's more of a kind of a i'm imagining there'll be sort of jurassic park thing going on now <laughs> picture that there's no actual physical gates but there is a jaunty sign over the top in lovely lovely letters welcome to the people's agricultural project yeah welcome to jonestown lovely sign you've got to imagine <laughs> creaking deathly silent there's no one around and they're expecting there are men and women in the jungle they are armed we are going to get ambushed at any point but they can't see anything. So as they walk, they go, we're going to head to the pavilion, the large pavilion that is in the centre of the settlement that they know of. And as they walk and the ground fog is still there, they find that their footsteps are obstructed. It becomes difficult to walk as they approach the camp. And they look down and they can barely see past the fog. They can't even see their own feet. And as they waft the fog away, they see masses of dead bodies at their feet. Bodies are strewn around the site as the ground fog clears and the day rises face down we are talking hundreds and hundreds of bodies people who are lying with their arms around each other some people are holding hands 
piled on top of each other, mass upon mass of corpses, particularly around the pavilion where Reverend Jim Jones would address his people. These people have stumbled on the culmination of what started out as a vision for socialism and equality and beauty. Because they always work so well. They do, they those, do. Those visions for socialism and this utopian society. Exactly. I mean, they've always been, historically, they always worked out perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> There's never been a problem with them in the past, so why wouldn't this one work? Why can't we just all get along? I'm starting to see the problem with <laughs> yeah, it. Well, indeed. Everyone always says, we could just live in There's a, There is a theme going on with these experiments. <laughs> We have bodies in the middle of the jungle in Guyana. Americans, men, women and children. How did this all begin, I hear you ask, Nick? I did. I asked very quietly into my gin. Did you ask the gin how it all happened? I asked the gin. The gin, <laughs> the gin spoke to me. I know <laughs> the story now. Is there a divination for, for, for asking I, the gin? There really should be. <laughs> <laughs> ask the gin, what happened? It? It's not Google, though, is it? <laughs> Botanical romancy. <laughs> Juniper Mancy. Juniper Mancy. Juniper Mancy. <laughs> well, the gin hasn't told you, has it? So shall I just carry on? I think you should. <laughs> so the principles of the People's Temple, as we said, they started out so well. So well, seemingly. It was at first a Christian movement that sought to champion a new wave of socialism in America. Its founder, Jim Jones, was born in rural Indiana in 1931. And he was known as a weird child. <laughs> They, ne- they never turn out, they never start out as like perfectly well adjusted, lovely, no. lovely they were. No, he was uh, He was pretty odd. His home life wasn't idyllic. It wasn't terrible. His mum and dad were quite unhinged. I think there were reports that his father was very much um, scarred. He'd, he'd served in the Second World War. His mother sounds mental. And again, there's, there's chapters written about her. I can't possibly go into just how mental she was. But just take it as read. But Jim, or Jimmy, young Jimmy, was from a young age fascinated by death. And was also a needy child. Really good combination. <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> yeah, he um, used to sort of get his friends to attend funerals for roadkill. Nice. Mm. Jolly. Uh, there were even reports that he'd stabbed a cat to death, which I'm not sure about. I don't know if that's true, but I don't know if someone <laughs> elbowed that in there going, psychopath! <laughs> oh yeah, potentially. A lot of these things come out after the fact, don't they? So. Well, there we go. Well, I mean, funerals for roadkill, that's sweet. <laughs> yes. Sweet is one way of looking at it. Um, yes. I'm well, trying to think of yeah, no. He was also, you know, he's a voracious reader when he was younger. He was fascinated by the works of Marx. Mm. Not a bad thing. Gandhi. Gandhi. Good, good, good. Hitler. Yeah, that's the, see, that's less good. It's less good. That's less good. If we're going to go on the less good camp, yeah. bit dodgy. Yeah, he studied all that he could about their teachings, their speeches, and their methods as orators. And oh, there we go. Oh, Hitler's got a good one on that. There <laughs> we go. Um, Hitler, um, later on, it would be Father Divine as well. Mm. He was fascinated by these speakers and maybe one of the things that fueled his studies of orators was the first time he attended church he was mesmerized he was taken there i think by an aunt and he was fascinated he was drawn not so much about the the worship and then and all the congregation together but by the preachers themselves this ability to unite and rally people and these preachers who held people in the palm of their hands and this fervor of excitement that would happen in the church at the time that he wanted a piece of that it's something we don't have that over here we don't so much we don't no. have that sort of real well yeah that real sort of proselytizing sort of fire and brimstone's oomph anglican is just very like hello <laughs> how are you? would you like some tea uh, yeah if you've it's not inspiring um, televised sermons in england or it's just people singing and they've just got their hands up and their eyes closed kind of going ah, 
Because putting your hands up, it all seems like a bit of an effort, really, doesn't it? It does. It's a bit, oh, that takes a long time. Whereas all the Pentecostal and the evangelical kind of preachers are like, yes, yes, yes. It's all a bit more enthusiastic. Well, it's a good comparison to have because when you listen, if you ever listen to Jim Jones's speeches later, it definitely feels like it's got its roots in that fire and brimstone, that shouting and that power. Jim Jones would later reveal in an interview that he never believed in God, really, or the concept of the church as it was traditionally seen. But he had seen religion as a way of infiltrating the church to spread his Marxism and to preach a communist or socialist message. Most likely it was probably a way to get attention. <laughs> to be the centre of attention. Yes. But, be that as it may, the man was not stupid mm. and he had a gift for performance. So when he started his church in 1955, he was 25 years old and this would be the church that would later become known as the People's Temple. Jim Jones had a much bigger plans than just simply praying and singing Sunday hymns. <laughs> Firstly, he positioned himself as a faith healer. Mm-hmm. Always good stop. Yep. People witnessed dozens of healings at his church. This combined with his powers as an orator of being able to give these really rousing sermons but mainly there were more speeches about equality about doing away with segregation you know wanting to live in a society where we were no longer subjected to prejudice that black and white people should live together and these are in areas where segregation mm. was ripe his was the first non-segregated church in indiana so they want no more Starts off in a noble place. Mm, from, from a good place. <laughs> Goes a bit weird. But... <laughs> and while he's talking, while he's giving these preachers, he's also a faith healer. So it's sort of like he's got a backup kind of, you know, I, I want to <laughs> preach my message, but if that doesn't get your attention, I shall cure this cripple. <laughs> he would. Cripples walking, ailments cured. Jones knew that faith healing would attract people to the church. They did. People would come from miles around and they loved the spectacle of it. And it also made people open their wallets. Mm, Money for the church. Money for the cause. But in doing all of these, he did share this powerful message about speaking out against segregation, about racism. He welcomed every race, every background to his church. He spoke most passionately about supporting the poor, building a better socialist society. I may drop some audio in here just so you can hear the kind of rallying speeches that he gave. We've got a miracle package, and we save that miracle package. We save that resurrection package for those folks that like black liberation. Sure, we have no dying here, but I tell you, that's not what's most wonderful. I'm looking over faces that were once dead in their trespasses of the old religions. They were dead under the old doctrines of fear, dead under the old concepts of the furniture of heaven and the temperature of hell. They were dead, and now their mental concepts, their mind has been resurrected. That's the greatest resurrection of all. Their mind has been liberated. Their mind has been set free. They now think. They now know the truth. Many people said Jones was up there with Martin Luther King Jr. as a speaker. So that's a curious comparison to make. Because he was speaking about he was speaking out yeah. about racial injustice, and he was later on beloved, but he was accepted by the Black Panthers. He was well, quite. held up as an icon. He was until a hero. he killed many many people. <laughs> so then it slightly went a bit dodgy and fell apart a bit. Yes, yeah, a little bit of that. Black Panthers are kind of looking back going, we should not have backed should, that horse. Yes. We should not have done that. Yeah. But because of this combination of faith healing, but also a really strong social liberal message, the, the church grew and it grew and attracted more and more members who wouldn't want to be a part of such an inclusive church and an inclusive regime. He was a hero, as I said, in the black community. And he, again, lived by what he preached. 
reached, he adopted different children of all different races. His rainbow family, he called it. Oh, did he really? Well, that's upsetting. He called it rainbow family. Eventually, Jones decided that they needed to expand further than Indiana. Uh, They would move to California. Now, California was where it's at. Far more suitable venue for his teachings and to grow his followers. Far more people, far more cash. (laughs) (laughs) I really thought you were going to say far more cats. Yes, m- he still lot, wanted to murder cats. Still a lot of cats going on in California. Mountain lions, yes. <laughs> but to convince his followers to come with him to California, this is a common thing. Jones can't just leave his followers and then go and start up a faction and hope to get more followers wherever he goes, wherever he expands the church. Mm. He needs everyone to come with him. Yeah, well, otherwise they might find someone else shiny to. Mm-hmm. He, they've got to come with him. Yeah. They've got to follow him. He has to have his loyal, loyal, loyal Absolutely. supporters. So he does this by saying that the nuclear Armageddon is coming. Well, that'll do the trick. So we need to move over there and it won't get us. Yeah, because like Indiana is like the target of most of <laughs> most of Russia's nuclear weapons at this time. Pretty much. Um, just how this logic got past, I'm sure he's argued it and other people have argued it. But just we'll go to California because that will be further away from where the nuclear weapons will hit. safe there. Yes. Pretty much. Right. Earthquakes. All those big, big cities in California. No one's going to want to bother with those. No one's going to touch them. Those no rural farms, they're, they're, they're in for it. Oh, they are. They <laughs> want to get rid of their corn. <laughs> they're so sick of their yams. Mm. Yes, there we are. So basically he goes, we'll go over here and that will get us away from the Armageddon. Come with me, come with me, children, come with me. Right. And along they came. They went with him. And he probably had promised an amazing life in California and again in San Francisco, which was one of their main bases. They can set up, they can have bigger churches, big lights, you know, big city and everything. The church swelled. And people who came to people's temple felt like they'd come home. Many of the survivors talk about, and they've all come from different backgrounds. You've got people who served in the Vietnam War. You've got black people who had just been subjected to the most awful prejudice their whole life. You had families who had drug addiction in there and they weren't getting help. They were poor. They walk into People's Temple and it's a community. It's jubilant. It's full of love and celebration and power. And yes, we are the righteous ones. And Jim Jones is standing up there preaching to them in the most phenomenal way. It's addictive. Everyone says, well, yeah. Well, you're selling it. Let's join. <laughs> Let's live by this. Other things that um, the People's Temple did set up on, on the face of it. Campaign companies that enforced segregation. They voted with their voices <laughs> and their many, many feet. They opened the church to everyone, as I said, regardless of race uh, and background. They set up soup kitchens. They set up programs to help the homeless. They set up drug rehabilitation clinics. They set up care homes for the elderly. And all the time, Jim Jones is still being a healer. He's still there helping people to get over cancer. (laughs) Jaw-dropping miracles they were. I'm just waiting for the butt in this story. Well, I think we can envisage where the butt's coming. (laughs) It sounds very idyllic. (laughs) It sounds like a delightful place. And you can imagine. Well, we'll bear that in mind. You can imagine how the public, how the press, how the politicians, if you just hear this, you hear hearsay on the street the way I'm telling you, people believe it. Believe it. And the people in the church, Mm -hmm. they believed it. They felt that this was happening. This is new. It's shiny. The members of the church start living in communes. They they want to have a communal society. They live in communes. They they all live in one house. uh, Cramped conditions. But they constantly preach the greater good. Everything is for the greater good. Everything is... We are... The greater good. The greater good. The greater good. <laughs> but yes, the greater good. Jim Jones says to them, eh, maybe abstain from sex. Put more of your energy into the church. Okay, yeah. that's fine. And also give up your material goods. 
Give them up. Nah. Well, you live in a commune now. Don't need your own house if you live in well, here. That's it. You know, he nah. would he would preach and he would sort of be saying, I don't have a car, I don't have a watch, I don't have anything like that. I give it up because I commit to the socialist ideal. And he would say, if you don't, you're a slave to the man. You're a slave to the man. People start to give up their goods, their fancy clothes. Not that many of them had fancy clothes, but anything <laughs> they had and their money goes to the church and they're all living together. And they're happy because they found a community and everyone is, is, is free thinking and there's a friendship there. And the People's Temple becomes our only influence. It becomes their family. And that's what oh. Jim Jones wants. This is more family to you than your actual, than your actual family. family. Yeah. He didn't like families. Didn't like families in the church. Well, that, that is also how cults work. <laughs> so we're getting quite culty. <laughs> the members of People's Temple, if they were in families, the families were sort of broken up. Mm. And different people's kids would be given to you to look after yes. so you like I'm looking after the kids they're not my kids <laughs> not my kids but you have to raise them like my kids are over there hello I'm your daddy remember that yeah one big family and of course Jim Jones is called father and his wife uh, Marceline is called mother and all the time while Jim Jones is preaching to them about acceptance while they're going on these rallies publicly while they're fundraising and they're building this community that everyone feels is wonderful and forward thinking he keeps just dropping in the idea it's us versus them socialism is God they don't want it to work for us they don't want us to work together they want to keep us down it is them and us the law is coming for us at some point they're gonna try and stop us and again this is drip feeded mm. in again and again and again but of course there's that but there's yes there it is but <laughs> now it goes horribly wrong do you think jim jones was practicing what he preached and oh uh... christ no <laughs> christ no he had he probably had a mansion on the side sort of thing with all these people's money he and... didn't have a mansion <laughs> he didn't live as far as i could see um he didn't live in a much more ostentatious house than any of the places that he set up home maybe it was slightly bigger but he wasn't ostentatious like that but um nah yeah what he did was for show the Rainbow Not family, sure. his son would later talk about, two of his sons survived uh, the ordeal that would before them later. His son would talk about that he felt that the Rainbow family, the adopted children and his adopted brothers and sisters were purely for show. Look, I am good. Look how good I am. Mm. Mm. Church's preachings about the end of the world. He wanted an army of people. He knew how to portray himself in the right light. He didn't just want followers. He wanted fanatics. Jones, while preaching to everyone, you must, you must be celibate, no sex for you. Oh, no. Repeatedly unfaithful. Shagging everyone. Shagging <laughs> everyone. And in echoes of, um, not that they're at all linked, but of the Waco massacre and David uh, Koresh, the female members had sex with Jones and it was an honour. Oh, it was an honour to have sex with him. Oh, God, yes. And it was part of the conversion. It was teaching them to come over to socialism. I think there was a phrase like, I will bring you over to socialism on the end of my dick. <laughs> Subtle. It's just weird. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, shag, shagging many, many mistresses. In the church, he had some close, he had his senior officials. Well, of course. One of whom was absolutely... Big too. Yeah, they all had very big hats. Yeah. I mean, that was that was it. They and had bonnets. Tell them apart. Well, they were bonnets. They were Sunday bonnets because it was a church. Right. But they created like tunnel vision because they were so... <laughs> <laughs> he was on drugs constantly. <laughs> On amphetamines. If you hear him talk, you suddenly go, oh, there it is. <laughs> a lot of the pictures you see of Jim Jones, he's got dark glasses on. Yes. And everyone was like, and he would say that if you look into my eye, he would say to others, I wear the dark glasses because the power of God is so strong in me. Yeah. If you look at me, you'll be burned. 
Right. Uh, it was actually just because he was fucked on drugs <laughs> and he was completely bloodshot eyes and his pupils were the size of the moon. So yeah, um, as much mm. as he preached of this um, inclusive church, most of the members of his senior officials... Oh, they were white men. White women. White middle class women. Yes, <laughs> he had his honeys. Yes. The healings he performed... Do you think he was a faith healer? I don't think he was. I think he might have been pretending. Are you sure? Well, I don't know. Well, but... he did cure cancer. Did he? Yeah, he did would he pull indeed. the tumours out of people. Right, yeah. By absolutely. the careful application of chicken livers. Yeah. Yeah, the old job of like, uh, like, yeah. like, have the chicken liver in your hand. Oh, look, I've got your cancer. When people died of cancer later on. Entirely unrelated. Entirely unrelated. They actually said the victims themselves would say, I didn't believe hard enough. Absolutely, it's entirely your fault when you don't get better. He did one where, um, this is filmed as well, um, had a woman who was a member of the church, had broken a leg, and he brings her to church, and he brings her up in front of the whole congregation, it's 100 people, and he cuts the cast off her leg, and he's like, I've healed you, you're going to walk, you're going to walk, go. And the woman stands up. And then falls down. <laughs> with a no, she runs. Leg. She runs. She runs, and she dances, and she's, like, oh my god, it's a miracle! And everyone standing, having seen this freshly proper professional cast put on, he's a god. He's a miracle worker. What he'd done? He drugged her, him and his cronies, and then put a cast on her leg while she was asleep. And when she woke up, they said, "You fell down and broke your leg." It's like, uh, okay, come to church. Jim will heal you. And so she's running around going, oh, I broke my leg. Oh, it's fine. Yay. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of effort to go through for a scam. So good for them. To heighten this sense, as well as doing the shaman bits for the, the healings, to heighten the sense that they're after us. The man is coming to get us. They want to stop us. Did he hire people in dark glasses to follow them? Well, he, what, who were more drug addled yeah. than he was. <laughs> no, at a church picnic, um, a man jumps out and shoots him twice. Shoots him and he falls to the ground. Chaos, chaos erupts everywhere. And he gets up and he takes off, I think it's his shirt or his jacket. Shows two bullet holes, one in the front, one in the back. There's not a mark on him. Oh, what a surprise. He has healed himself. Yeah, God has protected him. Absolutely. God has protected Only him. Only possible answer. And all of the the followers believe it. They did like how how else is this going to happen? Of course, it's fake. Yeah. Years later, they come out. <laughs> it's blanks. Blanks were fired. He set the whole thing up. One of the survivors, Grace Stone, would tell people later, "You have never met a man like Jim Jones." To the outside world, Jim Jones was a hero. Can be trusted as well by politicians who back him. Oh, gotcha. To bring thousands of people to their political rallies. Mm. Mm, we lag, we lag, we lag. The churches are around about, it varies between 3,000 and 5,000 members around now. There are reports of 20,000. That's bollocks. Yeah. Harvey Milk praises him. All these really forward thinking people, they give him an humanitarian award for his work in the community. Mm. All this does is grow Jones's belief in himself, his practices. He said, and this is on tape, it is a great effort to be God. I wish it upon another, but no one else has the faculty that I do. In the meantime, I shall be God, and beside me there shall be no other. He's a modest chap. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a burden, but I'll do it. Someone has to be me, and God, I'm awesome. (laughs) Got to have that sort of self-belief and confidence. That must yeah. be amazing. Honestly, it's this is just scratching the surface mm. and I do urge people to, to watch the documentaries, listen to Jim Jones because as much as we're saying about like, oh yeah, how good he can be, he can 
fucking talk. Mm. He is. He wouldn't have got where he is if he couldn't. There we go. And if you were there in the church, you would believe him, and he's saying the right thing. But as the years rolled on, some of the church members begin to feel uncomfortable. Jones was paranoid, as you can imagine, with all the drugs. All those drugs, yeah, that'll do it. Any person in his church, this caring, inclusive group who wanted to leave, Mm. who it was reported had been unfaithful, had an affair, who had had their ears pissed. Right, yeah. Absolutely. Who had done anything that was seen as an infraction against the church would be beaten. I'll do it. Not just by some random in a parking lot. No, he would have the senior leaders of the church, the so-called planning commission, pile in and beat that person savagely to the ground, recording it as they did so. I'm going to play you some audio. God. Change where you're going. I mean, I know you're going to kick my ass, but really, John, get out of the way. Let the seniors have it. <laughs> You punk, you goddamn gangland punk! You cause us trouble week after week, month after month. Got my blood pressure rolling, punk motherfucker! <laughs> you fucking bitch, you don't mess with me, I'll kill you. <laughs> so yeah, that is a recording of mm. a teenage black boy. Yeah, that's not fun. No. Is that laugh is somewhat terrifying that laugh is the, it's, it's that's the, that's that is the real psychopath laugh <laughs> that's very, very disturbing very disturbing why would you record it he was obsessed he recorded there was so much out there he mm. believed what he was doing was right but you know whether he believed what he was doing is right mm. or to show others or to, to terrify them yeah it's just intimidation for everyone else don't yeah mm. don't but, step out of line or this is gonna happen to you yeah there'd thing. be boxing matches against people who were not matched that he would just be beaten to a pulp. The next day, these people would say they were sorry and profess their love. Well, you would really, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> having the shit kicked out of you, you're gonna. <laughs> and at this point, there are some people who start going, eh, eh, eh. I am going to a side step yeah. left here. This may not be quite the idyllic thing we thought it was. <laughs> exactly. Anyone who did get out of people's temple were threatened horrifically they feared for their lives mm. they were told that people would come together they thought they were going to get beaten like that like literally get the shit out of them but those who did get out they were ambassadors that they were they were betrayers absolutely traitors they made up all sorts of stories about them he would just use more and more controlling me- methods to stop people leaving he had people in the church and this includes some survivors would sign false statements saying that they had molested their own children, that they were drug addicts or stuff like that. They would get them to sign that, and then the church held them and was like, right, if you yeah. leave, blackmail. Blackmail. I'm yeah. going to use this against them. It was in San Francisco that the first of the White Knights was held. Do you know what it means? I don't know. The White Knights, as they were called, were test runs. Jones gathered his closest advisors together for a meeting. He pours out some wine from the local vineyard yeah lovely lovely wine lovely <laughs> as soon as they've drunk it he informs them that they've all been poisoned nice yeah this is part of revolutionary suicide they're all going to die together in about 45 minutes people in the room are panicking there are some survivors who can still talk about it they're like saying i can feel myself dying i don't know i don't know oh my god no one leaves but they're freaking out close to the point where they're supposed to die Jones reveals it's all a ruse. <laughs> what jolly jokes we have. <laughs> he's testing them, just wanted to see what would happen. Mm. And everyone's going, okay, well, he's reacting. Is he seeing how we'd react to death? No one jumps up and punches him in the face. Yeah, that would be my reaction. What the fuck are you doing, you idiot? Uh, somewhat harsher language. <laughs> but can you imagine being in that place? If you've just, this guy could do this any time, do you fight him? Or do you go, fucking hell, he's got me where... He wants me. Yeah, who, who, who knows? Who knows? There's always someone who has to screw it up for the rest of us. 
Mm. Racial equality, yay! Stamp out prejudice, yay! Yeah. Drink this poison, come to my death. No, come on! <laughs> it's always one step too far, isn't it's it? Always death, the third it's step. Don't do that, the third that step. Last thing. The horrors from people, the worry and the concern from all the members is starting to grow. They've been around for a few years now. The gloss is starting to fade. And after years of positivity for the church, the backlash comes. Defectors, victims of Joan's abuse who have managed to get away, rally together and they go to the media. Good. They go to the authorities and there comes a series of media stories over different time periods starting to pick away at the church's reputation. One defector, as I said, Grace Stone, she has spoken to the press that she has run from the church. Her child is still in the church because of this communal kind of approach. Her child is being looked after by Jim Jones and others and that. She can't get a son out. But she and others start to talk to the media. Jones' paranoia hits its peak. So what does he do? He announces that the People's Temple will move. Absolutely, yeah. And they're going to move to... Guyana. Guyana. English-speaking, socialist, predominantly black government. Perfect. He buys up just under 4,000 acres of land in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the jungle, sends out a delegation. Prepare, prepare the land. Prepare a settlement. That's a hell of a site. That is massive. Massive. 4,000 acres. That's huge. But even so, they build this. um, He paints it as an agricultural community that he is building out there. Mm. Um, A beautiful place. Again, it's a utopia, free from racism, free from violence. They're going to grow their own food. They're going to have this idyllic life. Absolutely. Waterfalls everywhere. Everyone's got their own hammock. (laughs) Everyone's got their own hammock. There's monkey butlers everywhere. (laughs) How many monkey butlers will there be? One One, first. One, yeah. But they'll train others. Exactly. (laughs) Everyone will have their own monkey butler. It won't be humid and sticky and horrible at all and full of bugs and flies and monsters and so many monsters that's where the monsters live in the jungle monsters live in the jungle yeah well Jim Jones lived there oh how apt everyone came up and just saw him and went fuck that <laughs> monsters go away yes paradise free from the mu- media scrutiny that Jones had so courted before Jonestown as I said middle of the jungle 160 miles from Georgetown you either had to fly to the airstrip I mentioned before this tiny 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 place or take a 20 hour boat ride yeah that's less long along the river and even then the, the settlement yeah is is bad soil Nothing grows there. That's why they sold it to them. It's like no one else fucking wants <laughs> it. It's actually quite close to the Venezuela border. And I think for, for Guyana, they're like, if Americans are there, it will stop a military invasion from Venezuela. Oh, right. oh, they don't want coming. Venezuela to come in. So they go, the Americans, you're a human shield. Yeah. Take the shitty land. There's no what? water sources. It's fucking horrible. But to be fair, when people do arrive, they've got this um, these guys building this settlement. They've, they've funneled money over there. But they feel oh, free. Because I suppose when you arrive in South America, it's going to be beautiful. It's a breath of fresh air. Oh my God, it's so lovely. And Jones wants everyone to move there away from the bad press. He sends followers out there and he knows that there's going to be more bad press articles coming out. So he goes himself and he rallies everyone that he can. Got to get out there. And then they come, nearly a thousand people in 1977. Uh, A little bit more than they'd anticipated. Mm. It sort of built it for 500. Shit. (laughs) The price for paradise is that people got in, but you could not necessarily get out. Mm. You have to have Jones's permission to leave. And if you want to leave, jungle! Yeah, 
jungle. <laughs> jungle for hundreds of miles. One shitty six-mile trek to an airstrip <laughs> that you probably won't get on a plane for. Wow. Jones records film tours of the camp and on camera he's talking about how beautiful it is, you know, mm. smiling settlers, talking about the delicious plantains and papayas they're growing. <laughs> it's got shops, it's got a pharmacy, it's got schools, kitchens, everything's provided for there. It's a proper town. But soon conditions in the settlement were less of a utopia than they thought. I can just imagine it being like a film set, where like all the shops and things are just like facious <laughs> for, like, for, for like all the photography and the the adverts and stuff like, like that. Blazing saddles, yeah, it's a town to fake. And this is nothing behind any of it. <laughs> like, don't go into the shop. It's not ready yet. <laughs> but the bakery, it's lovely. Why do you have a French bakery here? It's all we could get, all right? People go there to work as socialists and they're trying to live the socialist ideal, which kind of involves working pretty much a 12-hour day, mm. up at five, someone banging on the cast iron door that you have. Come on, tend to the land, everyone. So you work about 12 hours growing what shitty food that you can. And then you've got to attend lectures on Soviet socialism and communism for another six hours or so. Yay. Yay. Okay, starts off with socialism. Everyone's equal. Everyone's lovely. Then you start, if you then go into sort of more Soviet socialism, it's not quite the same <laughs> thing. That has its own particular skew it's on the... It's what we call communism, <laughs> but the, the bad kind. Exactly, on the philosophy, which is not entirely equal either, because that mainly relies on, do I say, or on end up in a gulag somewhere. Well, you'll be surprised what's coming next. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so you can imagine that the uh, the settlement is starting to feel a little bit sparse, mm. given there's double the population in there. Everyone's working around the clock, and the Jones on camera is not the same man that the settlers see every day in Guyana Jones who needs an audience who needs the attention who needs the adulation and the controversy and the dissension to fight against a system to rile against Mm. is suddenly alone with his followers he's surrounded by people who believe him if the only system to rail against is your own, <laughs> then, then you're screwed. His only enemies are the ones who complained about the camp and went against his decisions. His paranoia and his anger grows and grows. Jane starts dictating what films everyone can watch. He starts putting on a roster of films that are all about communism or all about mind control, like Day of the Jackal is played repeatedly, apparently. (laughs) What they can eat, who who they can talk to, how they should be mingling. He sits in his chair in the middle of the Grand Pavilion, his chair, and just rails and rants about the liars on the outside, how the man is coming to get them. He reads the news over the intercom system, the tannoy system that is all around the town, putting his own spin on what the news is telling people. The sirens are sounded in the dead of night so he can then make new announcements which are increasingly slurred and incoherent. Whether he's drunk or just high, he's talking about how people aren't working hard enough and that they're not listening to him. He becomes obsessed with reviewing and monitoring people, overanalyzing every single detail. Control, control, control. Everyone, relaxing. It, very, very. People are going, I don't mind working. Um, <laughs> the socialist thing, I'll tend the land, but please none of the sirens <laughs> yeah, at night. The sirens. Don't like it. Nah. As in the USA in Jonestown, they had their own system of punishment. People who were seen to be misbehaving, locked in 654 boxes. Children were put down wells. Nice. That's where children belong. There we are. And the haunted well. (laughs) People were beaten. There are also reports of rape as well. Mm. That Jones also did male rape to assert his control. There's also footage as well in the middle of all of this, but of all the people singing this song like, we're a happy family, yes we are. (laughs) And it's like, it's chilling. It's quite, quite creepy. Singing the exciting song like the 
point of a gun. <laughs> um. <laughs> but back in the USA, a coalition of relatives of the people of Jonestown, uh, the concerned relatives, they're called, formed and they are raising their concerns to the media. Our family are out there in Jonestown, in Guyana. We don't know what's happening to them. We need help here. And Grace Stone has filed, who fled the church in the USA one night and her son is still in the care of Jim Jones. She files a lawsuit to get her child back for custody and they issue an order to return the child. So Jones gets wind of this and he knows that retribution is coming. He launches a new initiative. He starts gathering people around and sounding the alarms, saying they all have to gather at the pavilion. And he starts this screaming rant telling them that the army are coming, that they're going to kill them and you have to defend Jonestown. The capitalists are coming and they want to destroy everything we're doing. He's not talking anything about there's a child who needs to go back to his mother. (laughs) No, absolutely. Literally, and I will play the audio of this because it's chilling of how he's screaming and the noises that he's making. I got a hell of a lot of weapons to fight. I got my claws, I got compasses, I got guns, I got dynamite, I got a hell of a lot to fight. People believe that hell is coming and they are lined up with weapons, fists, waiting for the attack. Nothing happens. That never comes, yeah. But they do this every night for six nights. Relaxing. They call it the six night siege. You can imagine that everyone's completely broken Mm. by the end of this. They are being told a fight is coming. One survivor's words are, this is what he's doing to us. He is constantly preparing us so we are only thinking about our own deaths and fighting to the end. He starts trialing more of the white knights. Testing his followers, giving them drinks, saying they're poisoned, seeing how they react, building up the idea of how many people will be with me should I hand out poison Mm. to them. And he orders enough sodium cyanide to wipe out an entire settlement. Back in America, the concerned relatives continue to rally for an investigation, and this is where Congressman Leo Ryan comes into play. He's been well known to defend people's rights, getting involved in, in really difficult situations. Speaks to the relatives, agrees to go to Jonestown. He brings with him um, some journalists who film the whole thing and some of the concerned relatives. Not all of them, but just a small handful who want to go and well. see their family. On landing in Georgetown, he negotiates back and forth. Jim Jones does not want to let him in to Jonestown. But eventually he relents. Um, Jones goes round to everyone in Jonestown and says, okay, they're coming. Happy faces, happy Happy families, happy families. families. They rehearse and they're drilled and they're drilled Mm. and they're drilled and they're drilled to talk about, wonderful, it's so lovely. How delightfully terrible this. So when they arrive and the NBC cameraman is filming them, people are smiling going, oh, I love it here. I love it. I never want to leave. (laughs) I want to stay. This is paradise. It's lovely. Gets a proper press tour with music and singing and dancing, but the atmosphere is tense. In the evening, Ryan, the congressman, addresses the settlers and he addresses the people and he says, you know why I'm here? I'm here to investigate. And he makes a seemingly kind of passing comment saying, whatever the comments are, there are people here who believe that this is the best thing that's ever happened to them in their whole life. The place erupts in an explosion of cheers and applause. (laughs) It is deafening. It is insane to the point where you can see him on camera like, it's not just 30 seconds, it's minutes. Mm. And he's, everyone is like, this is not normal. This is, this is, this is, what the hell is going, you know when it just goes on too long and everyone's uncomfortable and you're like doing that like, okay, can we stop? Oh God, my hands hurt. Did you turn turn around and Jones is there with a big applause sign above his head? (laughs) During this big celebration, one of the survivors, Vernon, manages to pass a note 
to the cameraman he's seen doing this and Ryan who has gone around and seen everyone in Jonestown and been told lovely I love it here I love it here he receives a note and it says to the effect help us get out of here so Ryan starts to speak to people who have sort of hinted that they would like to leave and they are saying we want to come with you we're scared they're a tiny tiny proportion of a thousand population settlement but they are saying to him we need to leave and you have to be careful because as soon as they know this is going to get dangerous but we want to go with you because he's a state official they're protected no one's going to do anything Mm. it's going to be okay some people during that visit don't even wait for the congressman they leave in the middle of the night they manage to slip past the guards and they trek for miles miles like 30 miles or something through the jungle with their families and with babies one woman said she was walking the whole way and expecting to get a bullet in the back of her head the next day the 18th of November 1978 as Ryan prepares to leave more people ask to go with him families who have been with Jim Jones since the beginning come up to him and said we we want to go Mm. we love you Jim and whatever you're doing is fine but we need to go we want to see our families and he's sort of thinly smiling going Mm. there'll always be a place for you here it's starting to get very tense there are about 26 people who want to leave Jonestown initially there were maybe seven or eight but more people have built up Jones is visibly tense and the rest of the followers are starting to get tense around. They start shouting about children being taken away. The truck is loaded. The truck gets stuck in the mud and everyone on board who's getting on board going, we need to leave. We need to leave right now. Another man runs forward, Larry Layton, who says he wants to come too. The other defectors are warning the delegates saying, this man is one of Jim Jones's most loyal followers he he you need to watch him he can't want to leave he's never said anything about this before but they're like no no, no it's fine you can come on board mm. in the pavilion just before ryan leaves a man comes up to him with a knife tries to cut his throat shouting something about you motherfucker i'm gonna i'm, I'm gonna kill you he's, he's wrestled to the ground he gets away ryan has got blood on his shirt and he's like okay we need yep, to get out no, of here time to go now. <laughs> yeah well, while jim jones is sitting there during this he's sitting there and mentions i've never felt jamestown more peaceful as they leave, the monsoon starts. One of the survivors would say it felt like something evil was blowing into Jonestown. Something terrible has descended into the town. And the delegation get back to the airstrip. Two planes have been ordered and they have to have a second one to accommodate so many people yeah. who want to leave. But as they wait to board, a tractor arrives from Jonestown. Around five or six people get out and they open fire on the delegates shotguns handguns rifles everyone is target larry layton the guy who got onto the truck he's sitting on the plane with some of the defectors he turns around and shoots them Mm. he shoots them in the body and the leg they actually survive he tries to shoot one person in the head and the gun misfires they wrestle the gun out of his hand people run to the jungle the people play dead on the ground the one target is congressman ryan and he is shot dead Mm. in the end five people are dead Ryan, members of the media, and one of the defectors, and other people have varying degrees of injuries. And that brings us back to Jonestown. Jones himself knows what's happened. This has been the final act that will justify the means. He knows what must be done. A discussion is heard between him and his senior advisors, words to the effect of, does it work quickly? Does it taste okay? It's then that they decide that they're going to mix the cyanide with grape flavor aid very important not kool-aid absolutely common misconception everyone's saying if you drink the kool-aid it wasn't kool-aid it was flavor aid a knockoff of kool-aid but they bring out this fruit punch 
and they're going to commit revolutionary suicide. Jones sits in his chair and he records his discussions and the process the whole time on what is known as the death tape. This tape is available for people to listen to. <laughs> Not in good record stores. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I will drop some audio in here as well, but it's quite chilling. I've, I've heard that before, yes. How he's is... talking. One caveat that I must stress, this is a small excerpt that I've chosen just to give you a frame of mind of what Jim Jones was talking about. It is eerie. It's quite short. So my opinion is that we be kind to children and be kind to seniors and take the portion like they used to take in ancient Greece and step over quietly because we are not committing suicide. It's a revolutionary act. I want to go. I want to see you go, though. I, they can take me and do with me whatever they want to do. I want to see you go. I don't want to see you go through this hell no more. No more, no more, no more. While the death tapes are available to listen to, I really would exercise caution before going and listening to those in any depth. People believe Jim Jones. His rhetoric is that the world is against us and now we have a choice of how we die. We're not going to let them win. And the fact is, as said by many of the survivors, that the people there had worked so hard for the past year, 14 to 16 hour days, they'd endured the heat, the misery of the jungle, because the USA wouldn't let them live freely. They'd set up for six nights in a row before this, waiting for an army to come that never did. They're just tired. They're not jubilant or righteous. They are exhausted exhausted, and they're broken. Some people would leave suicide notes asking why the world just wouldn't leave them alone shouting at the enemies that were never going to come and praising Jim Jones for his leadership. So this is where it gets pretty dark. The flavour aid and barrels of cyanide are mixed and they are brought out. The adults are given cups. They take out syringes without the needles in them to squirt the poison into the mouth of the children. And the children have to go first. Some parents take the poison at the same time as their infants. Others wait until their children have passed away for their turn. So the babies and the infants are brought up. Their mouths are squirted with cyanide. When the adults start to cry and scream as their babies start to foam at the mouth and to convulse, Jim Jones calls on them to stop exciting themselves and the children. I won't play this recording, but there is one where you can hear that Jim Jones is insisting that death is a million times better than 10 more days in this life, while the screams of children are heard in the background as they die in agony. Anyone who says that cyanide is an easy way to go is <laughs> yeah. lying. No, 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 no. No, it is, you will suffocate, <laughs> you will convulse, oxygen is starved from your body, it's not pretty. At this point as well, his wife, uh, Marceline, screaming at Jim to stop this, to stop killing the children. And he's just very calmly and saying, mother, mother, please don't do this, don't, don't upset people. She's watching all the children die. Jones lies to her and says that her their children who were stationed in Georgetown who survived this he tells her that they're dead and that's enough to set her over the edge mm. to go okay I'll, I'll die too by 6pm approximately 300 children are dead then the adults come up for their cups if they refuse or try to get away they are held down and forcibly injected with cyanide many of the bodies have abscesses on them where the needle went in so that's how they know One survivor, Tim Carter, his story is really interesting. He survives because he was tasked by the senior members. He was given suitcases of money and said, you need to leave the camp and bring this 
to the Russians, to Russian communists. You just need to take this to <laughs> random to fucking places, mm. take all the money and donate to them, but you, you walk out and he comes back from being given this task and he sees what's happened and he sees his wife and son mm, dying. They die in his arms. And he would say later, I, hear, I heard people screaming, people were screaming in pain, in fear, in death. There was nothing joyous going on, no grand hallelujah for Jim Jones. No. In the final stages of the death tape, you hear Jim Jones saying, we die protesting the conditions of an inhumane world. <laughs> and then the death tape stops. Mm. Guyanese army arrive the next morning at Jonestown and they discover the sea of corpses. <laughs> Horrifically, some are already rotting because of the conditions. It's the heat. Yeah. yeah, and they're piled on top of each other. They miscount at first the number of people who have died because they don't realise mm. there's just so many people there. And Jim Jones is found in front of his chair, bloated corpse, died, gunshot wound to the head. Oh yeah, he's not doing that poison malarkey. Yep, self-inflicted, <laughs> didn't take the poison himself. So you no. see how 900 people yeah. have suffered. That's quite unpleasant, I won't be doing that. In the end, it's concluded that 910 people died at Jonestown itself. The final death count of this massacre is... 918 including the five deaths at an airstrip mm. and also an incident that happened with Jim Jones's sons in Georgetown there was one of the true believers who was with them while the sons were actually going they, they got a CB radio call from Jones in code saying this is happening and they try to stop it or try to get to the US embassy mm. to say we need to get out to Jonestown the embassy was closed that day because <laughs> it was Saturday and they wouldn't open up but they had a true believer amongst them I think her name was Sharon Amos and she killed herself and her children and slit their throats Sorry. It's called a mass suicide at the time. Mm. <laughs> Since been renamed for what it is. Yeah. Mass murder. Definitely. People were forced to drink the flavour aid. You could either be shot, forcibly injected, or stand there and watch your child die and then drink it yourself. So I don't think there's much choice. Yeah, it's not a huge amount of choice in that one. No, indeed not. Those who got out would later talk about they had intended to return with help. They just wanted to get help and come back and get the rest of their family. But they had no idea what was going to happen. Mm. They didn't know what Jim Jones was going to do. They were labelled, the survivors, as cultists. They were accused of being hitmen, of instigators, of murderers, that they must have known what was going on but they would spend the rest of their lives haunted by visions of Jim Jones himself, Oof. thinking they saw him at every corner, and the memory of how they had just been misled by a monster and suffered immeasurably for the rest of their lives, including hearing all the Kool-Aid jokes that were to come. Yeah. A monument to the victims was erected in Oakland, in California, and that was where 400 of the bodies who were unidentified, and that includes the vast majority of the children, that's where they're interred. Jonestown itself was abandoned by the Guyanese government. Usable metal and materials were quickly stripped from the land yeah. by whoever could get hold of them. And eventually the jungle reclaimed it. You can't reach it anymore by road. There is a small monument to the dead there, but few remains can be seen by air apart from the sort of skeletons of the buildings yeah. and vehicles with trees growing through it. And in the middle of what was Jonestown, Jim Jones's chair still sits. And that is the story. Well, that's a very unpleasant story. I don't <laughs> like that story. Of Jonestown. <laughs> <laughs> 
So here we go. You're yeah, buckling, that's, that's, kids. That's, 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 that's like really jolly. I feel so happy now. <laughs> it starts off with you can have moments of like, oh, the dead guy's silly. Yeah, soon you can't really do that after a while. <laughs> so. I did warn people, but yeah, I was Yeah, spent... well, it's a good story. We needed to do it. Yes. But it is, um, yeah, that's a hard one. This wasn't pleasant for me in the no, last few days. No. It's fascinating. For sure. That is a snippet. That's a very quick overview rundown of, of, of the yes, story as best I could and, and trying to give it justice and trying to you know again point out the massive loss of life there but the, some of the survivor stories where they describe what they saw and what happened I mean they're heartbreaking oh, and, but precious. again fascinating where you can just go my god everyone and again their own words of what well, we believed him and we genuinely thought this was this was the right way forward. This all started with them wanting to build a utopia, wanting them just to be part of a church or part of a community that was fighting for what was right. And look how it ended. <laughs> they well, as we said, they never particularly have the happy ending. These sort of dream utopian societies, they always tend to go slightly awry. Run um, by a megalomaniac. Yeah, because they're generally always run by insane people. In it's principle, a good idea. In principle, that seems delightful. I, th- I think, you know, far more. It's like he was a celebrity. Oh, God, yeah. Absolutely. Totally held up as, you know, the most progressive free thinker around and just was a complete megalomaniac. Interested well, in you have that his way of the highway. With with cults. Because when we when we did um, the Um Shinriko, the Japanese one, with um, Shoko Oshara. But yeah, at the beginning, yeah, he was doing radio interviews. He, he was a celebrity. Mm. He was doing radio interviews. He was lecturing at universities and stuff like that. And then it just goes slightly more crazy and slightly yeah. more insane and insane and insane as they get sucked down to this weird rabbit hole. Um, I think that's the misconception about cults a lot of the time. You don't start off with that aim, I would imagine. You're starting a group. I don't think you start off with that that aim of this is what I'm, is going to happen in the end. <laughs> probably they start off with the best intentions. And it just it spirals out of control. But it just does go into a world of paranoia and madness. You hear the some of the survivors and in other cases of mass suicides of cults where people were saying these weren't a bu- we weren't all a bunch of crazies and we weren't all mm. a bunch of loons and this was a legitimate thing. But honestly, most of them are. It's the idea that cults are all complete lunatics who wear, you know, long Not white dresses Not in the middle of the woods and just cut up animals in front of people. <laughs> I think if they'd no. started as that, it probably wouldn't have escalated. Less, less popular than, yeah, than they would be, yeah. It starts off with some sort of good intention, but also so, yeah. the blind belief. Got Jim Jones, a cause we can all get behind, believing he's right. Fucking Hitler thought he was right as well. Well, so does any religion. Didn't he go? A totalitarian regime. Um, <laughs> they all absolutely believe they're right. And if you speak powerfully enough, you can convince people. Mm-hmm. Do we think cult? I think so. I definitely think so. Is Yeah, that not not being able to leave, not being able to get your loved ones out, mm. cutting off contact from everyone who isn't a member. Yeah. Um, I think very definitely a cult. <laughs> very definitely a cult. <laughs> But it really does beg a belief. It's of the scale that this was the single biggest loss of life from a deliberate act until September the 11th. When you look at the photos, and they're all out there, and they're not too gruesome, but this is of a massive dead bodies. The scale where you look at it and go, that's not real. Mm. You do just kind of go, that that's not possible. Why would everyone do that? Why would everyone lie down and kill themselves like that? That's yeah. what happened. Well, I don't think they did lie down and kill themselves. I don't think they did do that. Uh, some people, some people did. Some people did so, it willingly because they were yeah, brainwashed. I think probably the 
a small percentage. I think there was... To be fair, I think that there was a small number who were forcibly injected. Everyone else drank the flavour aid. That may have been man with a gun over there yeah. and a crossbow. They had crossbows. Oh, crossbows. <laughs> yes. Okay. They literally had crossbows as well. Yeah, so it was yeah. crossbow death or nice flavoured, grapey, drinky death. Oh, God, that was worse. Please mm. kill me with a gun. And people just lined up and did what they had to do. No. And then Jones fucking shot himself. As he's a twat. There we are. Well, that's the story of Jones. Well, it wasn't that jolly. <laughs> we had to do a big story. Um, hopefully that hasn't depressed you too much. But, you know, you might want to discuss it because it is very close to home, this one. Honestly, various gods love you if you have been affected by this. Because there's, statistically, someone probably has. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's the scary thing about all the, the Patreon ones that we do generally. There's, mm. They are Please they are modern, in. so they are, yeah, very close to home. And we'll remember them, and a lot of people will yeah, remember the, the various anniversaries and, and, and when it actually happened. Yeah. So if you have thoughts... Uh, if you want to talk about it, if you want to share any thoughts or opinions and everything, feel free to let rip on the on the comments. If you just want to fucking rant about what a dick Jim Jones was, yeah, go now, for it. Now go go and listen now to a silly episode. Go yes. and listen to like Mary Bateman and a prophet hen or something exactly. like that. Go and listen to one of the stupid ones so we can all have a laugh about Th- Thomas Wainwright and <laughs> exactly. Cornelius Van yeah. Boons. That's what you need. Go, <laughs> promise, we promise next week will be fluffier and lovelier. I'm, I'm, but if, if we keep doing. <laughs> Well, okay, now I'm gonna have to find something fluffy and lovely, aren't I? <laughs> okay. Well, people wanted to hear about the colts. Well, absolutely, yes. And this, this but is a fucking cult. They're always jolly. <laughs> well, you know, do send us suggestions of how we can jollify it. <laughs> we can make it less like it's awful. Yeah, tricksy. That is the price of poison, well, quite. guys. And you know, we hope you've done it justice. And send us more suggestions of stories you want us to cover. Oh or new on Patreon we're happy to do again you have to go way back in time and do witchy shit or really modern stuff stuff that happened yesterday (laughs) not the Russians please don't let the Russians get us (laughs) unless you can find a secret way that we can do the Russians disguised like if it was the Australians right yeah we'll change all the names we'll change all the names Australians won't mind Australian fans are great tell your friends guys yeah tune in this week for Friday's episode will be fun the main episode I promise because <laughs> it's my episode on Friday as well I've got double episode this week uh, gave you a break this week you did it is going to be funny you can stop <laughs> rocking back and forth and crying <laughs> not until Friday though get, do get a copy of um, The Road to Jonestown it's a brilliant book a really good account otherwise we will see you on Friday guys we will see you next week for more Patreon stories so in the meantime keep drinking keep talking about poison and remember unfortunately your loved ones are trying to kill you